you look at the best players in the world, Messi, Ronaldo, their ability to dribble is because they've practiced dribbling, taking players on, using their skills to beat players. NEFC Boys Director of Coaching, Christian Battaglia. He's the guest on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by NEFC Boys Director of Coaching, Christian Battaglia. Christian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I got the last name right, right? Yes, I got yes, nailed the pronunciation, as I was hoping I would. Um, <laughs> so it's great to have you, especially here in studio. It's, it's a busy time of year. We were just talking about how July is kind of the quiet before everything ramps back, back up again in, in September and whatnot. But June is a big month as well for, uh, for club teams across the region and beyond because it's, it's postseason time. Mm-hmm. And you guys will be sending teams to the Eastern Hill Boys Playoffs later this month. We said that's what down in Greensboro, right? Greensboro, Greensboro North, North Carolina. Carolina. Uh, in your estimation, just how did the 2022-23 season go for NEFC boys? What were the strong points? Did it did it meet the expectations of what you guys wanted to see this year? Yeah, it always seems the spring season is a never-ending season because we pretty much start in December when the senior players come in from high school, um, start games in December. And this year, it seems even longer because we probably had to played a lot of our games in May, June timeframe because a lot of those games got canceled because of weather. So it's kind of been exhausting this spring, but we've had a lot of success on and off the field with NEFC. I'm pretty excited that we have seven NEFC teams being represented for the ECNL playoffs. We have our top four national teams, so our U15, 16, 17s, and 19s heading to Greensboro. And we also have three of our ECNL regional teams heading down to New Jersey this weekend. Wow. I mean, that's that's pretty deep. I mean, that kind of shows the, the depth of, of the talent amongst the age groups. Were any age groups this year a surprise for you guys success-wise? I mean, did, did, or were, were there teams coming into the season that you expected you'd probably have a strong side there? I think our two surprises, I would say, like our 2008 age group and our 2007, our 2008 age group came from our younger top teams participating in MLS Next. So we have a pretty big turnover because we developed some high-level quality players that move on to the New England Revolution Pro Pathway. And then those players, they're in the MLS Next Pathway for two or three years, so those players want to continue, which I understand, so they venture off to other MLS Next clubs. So we pretty much had to rebuild our 2008 um, ECNL team from from scratch, and that's more of developing players with our our regional teams, moving them up the pathway. And they had a very successful year. They finished second in the Northeast Division, Actually, if they won won their games when we traveled down to Long Island, they would have finished in first. And then the same thing with our 2007 age group. We started off the season. I think they lost their first four games, and they recovered nicely, went on a won a bunch of big games, and they ended up qualifying for, for nationals. Our U19 team, I kind of always look at our U19 as our, our top team. Like if you look at the pyramid, kids coming out of U11, U12, our U19 is our top team. The kids that have been within the program for a number of years. Yeah. And we've had a lot of success with our U19s over the past five or six years, and it's no different with this year. They won the Northeast Conference going 14-1-1. A lot of kids are going on to play. I think we have 10 kids going to play Division One soccer out of that group. 
and qualifying for nationals. And then it's the, I believe it's the top 16 teams or top 32 teams within across the ECNL platform. Wow. Do you attribute that? I mean, as you mentioned that the older team is usually typically your strongest team. And we were talking about how you enjoy coaching those younger players, the U12, U13, U14 type players, because they're they're more like sponges and they can develop and they, they soak everything in. Is that because they these players have been through the system for five, six, seven years? You think that that U19 team is is always the strongest? Yes. Yeah. I, I contribute. A lot of those players have played with us when they were younger. Some of them will go out and try, like, we probably you know lose four or five players every year to the New England Revolution Pro Pathway. If those players don't eventually make it there, they come back, recycle into our, this year, our ECNL program, or we just end up picking and identifying players for specific positions and they come in in November after their their grueling high school seasons and it's more of like we spoke about is just managing that group not really kind of I think I started off the season with 24 players on the roster the way we kind of do things with NEFC is when our older teams U15 U19 come in it's kind of go to these showcase events and it's more of we want to get all these players showcased playing time is equal so we're not always going out and playing our best 11 in every single game, every kid gets at least a, at least a half. In terms of their development, I think it's also better because players get to play for 45 minutes straight where other clubs or other teams you can go and watch, they constantly subbing players off. They don't get into a rhythm or flow into a game. Mm-hmm. So we try to like really develop more of a team concept with the, the U19s, the buy-in, the attitude, concentration, and effort that they have put forth because they're all going to move on and play college soccer. And... Over the years, I think they, they have an understanding of this is the age group where winning is kind of important to, to them. They have had their development years at the younger age groups, and then U19 is we want to qualify for nationals and see what we can do at the national level. I'm curious how you guys view losing players to the Revolution Pro Path. I mean, because it, it's a feather in your cap probably that you develop these players or you help, had a hand in developing these players and they move on to the Revolution Academy and the, and the pro player pathway. But is it frustrating to lose top players to that? Or is that, I mean, or what's kind of the... I think in the beginning when I was younger, yeah, obviously as a coach, you put a lot of time and energy into your team, into your, to your players. And it's like they, they leave mm-hmm. and they're going to the pro club. So when I was younger and that would happen like 10 years ago, yeah. I'd say I was frustrated. Yeah. Now I bought into it. You have to, as a coach, director, even you know, I think as a, as a person, our job is to develop players. Our mission at NEFC is to develop players for the next level. Yeah. And we've had a really good relationship with Rob and TJ Love, who's the director of scouting, constant communication with them, identifying players, whether they're NEFC players or players that are outside of our, our club. And I fully support it. We don't hold kids back. If they want to go, we, we say go completely, support them moving on to the pro pathway. And hopefully they have the opportunity eventually to turn into professional players. I mean, we're fortunate enough to have Noel Buck for two or three years, and then he's gone on to the Revs, and he's 18 years old, and he's been a very impactful player for them this year, and that's a testament to him. Right. When I talk to parents, he's not gonna, we're not going to develop a pro player. We don't have the setup. We have our own facilities. Right, the resources. The resources. Yeah. There's, there's any club out there saying, an elite soccer club saying that we're going to develop a professional player. It's not going to happen. Right. They have to be around professional players, the environment, that's what is going to get them there. Right. In terms of playing in ECNL in, in, in the Northeast Conference, you know, there's great programs throughout New England and Connecticut FC and, and FC Stars, Boston Bolts. What's the landscape of playing against these fellow New England clubs? How does that prepare you for, for the postseason playing within this conference? 
I think every every weekend that we play the Eastsound platform, we've been in for three years. So previously, we're in the. I think it, it changes. It changes it, all, it, all the time. I can't even keep tabs um, on. Yeah. We played in the NPL. The NPL was a, a good quality league for us. And then when you get to nationals, you get to play all the other teams from across the country. ECNL has been a, a very good platform for, for NFC over the past three years. It was two-tiered. So we have the national league and then our regional team. Right. So our coaching staff with our regional teams is trying to develop players that will move up into the national. And these games are very competitive every single weekend, whether we're playing a single game or double headers every club has their own specific playing style so as a staff you have to adjust and adapt every single weekend you play home and away so you get to play them one time you know away and then you get to come home so you might have to make adjustments with your personnel your team your system of how you how you're playing so it's been very competitive the national showcase events have been fantastic i think that for our players in terms of getting seen by college coaches going down to greensboro the, the 19, 17, and 16s, there'll be over 400 college coaches down there for our players right. to get noticed. And to me, I, when I talk to parents, it's not whether it's MLS Next or ECNL, it's the environment that the club creates right. for me. Right. Because any, like at U17, U19, you know, any team, if you're MLS Next or ECNL, if you have a good team, a good coach, the game is going to be competitive. And then the players can figure out who's going to win the game. Right. It's funny, a couple of things about the, the club landscape you mentioned, how it's ever-changing. I tell people all the time when I go to these showcases, like people who are like friends of mine and stuff, who are like, oh, you were down in North Carolina for that showcase. What's that like? I'm like, it's insane. I mean, there's like 20 fields. There's games going on in every field. Elite-level elite play. College coaches from every college you mm-hmm. can ever think of. I mean, it's insane what goes on. And then... Because of what I do for a living, people are always like, if their kids play soccer, they're like, what do you, what, what do you know? What, like, what's the club landscape? What level is this? What level is this? I'm like, this thing is, it's ever, ch- it, it, it's never consistent. Like, it's every year, like, there's a, this league form, this league. Mm-hmm. It's, so, what's it like for you to be, I mean, because you've been involved in this for, in, for a while. I mean, how, how crazy is just the, the club landscape and just understanding how things are, are changing and evolving over, over the years? I wish it would go back to when I first started coaching. Yeah. Simpler times. Every, everybody was like on, kind of I would say, on even right. playing field. It was the best teams playing against each other. It was merit-based. So if you won state cup, then you qualified for regionals mm-hmm. and you got to play in the regional league. Now it's kind of political to who you know. Right. But I think it's kind of coming full circle now, especially here in the Northeast, with MLS Next, everybody that is, I think all the big clubs now, UFC, Bolt, Seacoast, IFA, Bayside, the teams and the clubs that have done well over the past 10 years developing players are on the even playing field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a really good opportunity for the clubs and the teams to create competitive environments and develop their players. And hopefully at the end of the day, the players move through each other's pathway right. and go on and play college soccer and become impactful players. But to me, more importantly, is these kids have to be good people. They're, right. about, they're not going to turn any... We've been around for 16 years. We've had one player from our program go on and be a, a professional player. So the percentage of a player, one player over 16 years, hopefully now that everybody's on the playing field, maybe the clubs will start developing right. more individual players for that, that pro pathway. But we want these players to be good citizens, good people. I think that's one thing that we try to create at NFC is the environment, the culture with our players. Our kids, when they come into training, they come out to the coaching staff, they shake their hands. It's not just 
soccer all, all the time. We want to really try to create and develop relationships with our players. Yeah, I think that's a hugely important aspect of it because it's not just soccer. It's basketball. It's baseball. I mean, there's there's travel programs and AU programs popping up everywhere right now. And it's almost – and you, you start to – Shake your head and you're like, okay, what what are the credentials for these? Okay, so this guy started an AU program. These people started a travel mm-hmm. program. You st- uh, like, w- is it just a cash grab? What's the what's the situation here? And then, uh, but I think I think that's that's the thing I always wonder with like with club sports and travel sports is like, wh- is it like will it get too big? Like, will it just get too much? And will it get too will it get too overdone? Do you guys do you ever think about that with the whole landscape of it all? Or well, I think there's certain I guess people that want to capitalize on right, it to, right. to make money from it. There's clubs that are nonprofit clubs, profit clubs. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not set. This country is not set up to be a not everybody's like, Oh, the pay for plate model. Right. right. That's the way this country is set up. Yeah. Unless you're the pro environment, unless you have a, a program that you have some person that has a lot of money that's wants to invest, that's genuine about investing in to youth sports, whether basketball, mm-hmm. soccer, whatever it might be. But someone has to turn the lights on at the end of the day. Yeah. And clubs do. You know, I know for the NFC, we have an, an amazing need-based program that we raise money throughout the year. We take donations. We do a fundraiser. So families that can't afford it can play club soccer. And I think we had a meeting the other day. I don't think I've been with NFC for 16 years. Never ever had to turn a boys player away because they couldn't afford to play. That's great. So, And it's just f- going out and finding those players. Right. And giving them the opportunity to be in an environment, be in the culture, and, and develop yeah. Swinging it back to, to the playoffs coming up. This time of year, June, weather, I feel like, is always a factor. I know I know this weekend... Or the th- weather's been awful. Yeah. June. <laughs> it's not, it's not here, June. It's been awful. <laughs> and uh, the MLX, MLS next playoffs are going to be in Dallas, where I saw the forecasted temperatures are like 100 degrees yeah. every day. In, in Greensboro, you would think it's probably going to be pretty warm, could be pretty muggy. It's been a little overcast here in New England. We've gotten rain. How do you prep the players for the elements just going from New England to where it could be hot and muggy and there's potential for games throughout multiple days in a row? What do you guys do in that regard? Well, for for us with NFC, all our teams during the season, we're training usually from 4.30 to, to 9 o'clock. Most of the time when you go to these playoffs, whether last year we went to San Diego, this year we're back in Greensboro, the games are 10, 11, 10 12, 1.30 sometimes in the middle of the day in the heat. So we try to move our practice time. So like mm. today, my U19s were practicing at one o'clock just to kind of get used to yeah. playing when it's the hottest time. Well, I don't know if the weather is going to be as hot as <laughs> North Carolina, but right. we try to just in their, get their bodies simulate, it, yeah. simulate it. And at this season, you're not really increasing their fitness level. It's just more of the the getting them mentally ready to be able to deal with the the, the heat. Yeah. And it's also how you set your teams up, right. personnel-wise, players in positions. Do you, you gonna want your opponent? Are you going to decide that you want to go and press or you want to have a mitt? Like mit, there's so many things that you think about to go in and try to be successful at, the, at these events. But, you know, I think it's just one game at a time. Right. Obviously, with all due respect to Greensboro, that was a great look. I've been down, down to those fields. It's a great location, but San Diego seems like a pretty sweet Yeah, place. I'd rather be going to yeah, San Diego. Yeah, I mean, San Diego <laughs> might, might be my favorite city in the country. Do you look at these, when these showcase schedules come out and they release where the, where these are going to be each year? I think they've already released ECNL place locations for next for next season, too. I thought I, I might have saw that. But do you look at them and be like, oh, I can't wait for this one, and be like, oh, this one's going to be brutal. Like, do you, do you go through and... Well, actually, l- last year we went to San Diego. It was the first time I've ever been to San Diego. Yeah. 
and everybody's like, oh, it's so beautiful Lost in Calif- best, yeah. California. But I was like there the first, it took me like, I think three or four days to get used to like, it was just all brown. Right. Oh yeah. I was like expecting like New right. England, it's all green right. and beautiful mountains. And so it was kind of diff- difficult to go out there because I was, I wasn't like, this is amazing. Right. And obviously we went to the beach. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but the landscape was totally completely different. Yeah. It just takes some time to get used to it. Yeah. What's your favorite spot you've been to? You have one? For show, for showcases, my favorite is IMG. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been down there. It's just I, it's just great facility and just great. Oh, IMG's yeah. my favorite. I mean, yeah. I've done a lot of. I've driven by it. I just haven't been like on the on the facility. I've done all all my coaching courses. I think I've been there probably twenty times. We always go there in December for their showcase, and the facility is unbelievable yeah. every single time. And we have a good relationship with them when we bring our teams down there, so we get get treated well. And they have a little soccer specific kind of stadium. Right. They keep expanding that program the fields and it's easy to get to you fly into sarasota and you're right. like literally 10 minutes away yeah december's a good time to go down there you sneaky know. good food area too sarasota's yes, got Sar- some good sarasota's yep. got some good restaurants yes sarasota's that fun. you don't think about so do they what about for the kids i mean because i've always i always marvel at the amount of travel these kids do like in their teenage years i mean back in when i was a kid it's like oh, if you went to new hampshire it was a great <laughs> it was a great travel day but like these kids are going all over the country do they have favorite spots like do they get more excited for certain showcases that's a good question i don't to, to be honest i don't think they really care where they go really wow i think they just they got on a plane they get in the car and they show up and <laughs> throw they, their headphones they, on they, yeah. yep and they just play they take their instagram pictures and off they go so yeah. i don't really I mean, maybe I'll ask our players and teams that question today. But yeah. to be honest, like even when I was younger, I wasn't like, oh, I know. I'm going here. I'm just going to go to a tournament and right. play. <laughs> That's true. I guess like it's a maturity thing. You don't really care about where you're going. We mentioned you, you've been with NEFC for 16 years, so you've seen it grow going on two decades here. So I'm getting old. <laughs> you and I the same. What's, what's it been like from when we, we talked a little bit about this off the air, but I thought it was interesting. What's it been like from the changes of when you first started to where you guys are at right now? For me, I love NUC, is, I guess I would say is my life. I've been there for 16 years, dedicated. The people that have been around, like Brian Mazar, the president, Jason Braga, Nick Burke. We brought James Hamlin in a couple of years. They're good people. They're good to be around. I think they all have the same goal and philosophy every time we meet. So it's been like, it's like a home. It's a family away from, I live in New Hampshire, so it's a long, I drive an hour and a half to practice every single day or or meetings. It's just, I enjoy the people I work with. And I think, I always tell our kids when we're coaching them, you have to enjoy what you do to be successful. Right. And just the people I work with, I really enjoy them. They're good people, make good decisions. I think they're about the club and about the players. And I think that's why past 16 years we've been, successful and it's not always it's great to win games but like we have we have an under 23 boys program that we started three years ago i got 40 players that that come back this sp- summer wow and a lot of those kids have played for nfc so it's nice to see them they're in call division one division two II, division three players come back they just enjoyed playing for nfc so it's it's been a great experience are you the longest tenured staff member at NEFC? Has anybody else been uh, there? Nick Burke and I. He's been there just as long. Yeah, J- okay. Jason Braga has been there for for 16 years. So so that must, I mean, to have those voices and those your, your personalities kind of meshing for that long, how, how much does that help just the camaraderie and the development of everything, just having the same people involved? I think this, the, the same people, but like Ed Kelly used to be the boys director, so Eddie, it was funny, this weekend we went to play CFC, our last ECNL games, and Eddie retired, moved to Connecticut, 
Eddie called me up and came to the game, sat down on the bench for a half hour. Um, and Eddie's a legend. Yeah. BC coached some national team players. And for him to just show up, I mean, it was it was awesome. Yeah. Some of the players were like, oh, who's that? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> they don't know. And there's been many times I've been with Eddie and all the stories that he has about his former players and just soccer in general. And it, he sat down and it's like the game is simple. Right. I think people try to make it super complicated and Eddie was just like you just got to make it simple right it's soccer don't make it complicated for the kids and they'll yeah. enjoy it and they'll develop and that commute for you it never gets old huh you don't mind uh, no I mean <laughs> I think I, I close my eyes and just drive I don't I don't need a Tesla <laughs> oh man I tell you what though like once COVID changed things and I I was nervous about the working from home thing but i've gotten so used to it just having no like i got so spoiled now if i drive to like my like my in-laws house or something and it takes like 25 minutes i'm like annoyed in the car the whole time i don't know i don't know how you guys can handle these these commutes like the soccer people are are nuts i mean they will they will commute they will commute they will not complain about it it's crazy (laughs) to me (laughs) well like i mentioned before i'm i'm kind of lucky now because my daughter plays for nfc yeah so so that works we're in the car three times a week and she 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 enjoys playing for NFC, so it's a good car ride now daddy daughter times so. right right how about in terms of i think we touched on this a bit but commitments for your for your 04 for your u19s right now are, are most of those guys committed to, to colleges any what kind of programs are they heading um, off to and so i think i mentioned we have 10 players going to play division one that's that's impressive and yeah. the rest are going division three wow and to me, it's not Division One, Two, or Three. It's the right fit for the exactly. player. I mean, we have one player who's going to play Division One, Three soccer at Union, and to me, he's he could play Division One soccer if he wanted to. But right. education was really important to him. Union's a very good school. They got a new coach going in that's done a good job there. So that was the right fit for him. Right. He could have probably went to some play Division One soccer, but that that wasn't what was important to him. Yeah. So well, he, it's fu- it's funny because like you you see talk to a lot of players and a lot of, like they'll say their aspirations are Division One or Division Three, and it's it's it always everyone that untrained eyes like what about Division Two? That's a higher division than Division Three. What do you think is like the future of Division Two soccer? Because it does seem like. Kids who are kind of like a borderline, maybe a borderline Division One player, if it doesn't work out, they can go play in the NESCAC, get incredible level soccer. So, yeah, high level soccer. Good education. Great education and almost just kind of bypass the D2 area. So what do you think of like the viability for Division II as, as, we, as we move on into the coming years? Well, I think there's a home, a home for all players. I think Division Two. I played Division Two soccer. Yeah, when I went to college, I played at Keene State. We were Division Two, so right. we played against like Franklin Pierce, Southern Connecticut. Yeah. At the time, it was probably top-notch programs. I mean, was, Franklin Pierce was still, the yeah. top conference in the in the, in the right. country for Division Two. I mean, we never finished above fourth place just because those. But they also focus a lot more on international recruiting. That's right. Yeah. So I think Division One, Division Three is more. They're looking at more of the American soccer players where division two i think the focus is more more trying to get international players in i'm wondering if that do you think that was that's by design or do you think the international recruiting kind of happened out of necessity because of what's going on with with kids around here just going division one and kind of bypassing division two and going division division one or three i would have to agree with that yeah yeah necessity so it seems like but i mean but i mean there's still there are still plenty of new england kids on these d2 programs Mm -hmm. i mean if you comb through the rosters there's still plenty of kids going that level it's just it's interesting because like i was talking to my son about that like the division one two three and i think division three has been when i was a kid 
people felt like Division Three. Oh, if you play high school sports, you can go play Division Three anyway. It's mm-hmm. just, that's just not the case no. anymore. I mean, it's just, especially at some of these high level programs. I mean, it's the level has just gone through. Do you agree that the no. level's just gone through the roof? Yes. With, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And also, I think the there's more development of players now than there was 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So yeah. The, the players are soccer wise are more talented. Right. So I think there's a bigger pool of players that are out there that can go on and play college soccer. Sure. As we as we wrap up this 2022-23 season for NEFC, what, what's what'll be a good conclusion of the season for you guys down in Greensboro? What do you what are you kind of just hoping to see out of the teams down there? Well, especially our four national teams. For me, it's just them being competitive in all the games. Hopefully, the visibility of a college coach is down there, and if you're lucky enough and play well the possibility of a national championship right i mean i've been lucky i've been to four of them with the npl one two but the ecnl is a different animal i mean last year we won our first game four to two against i forget the club that we played but we played crossfire premier from seattle and we lost them in pks we're winning two one with 10 minutes left we're actually losing one nothing half time got back in the game they scored with 10 minutes left to make it 2-2 and lost in PKs, and they were the eventual national champions. Mm, that's tough. And they, I think they won every one of their games on PKs. Their goalie was like <laughs> wow. 6-5. And he, it's like I they're think playing for PKs he, at that point. He made, like, uh, the whole tournament, I think, like 15 saves in, PK, in PKs. Wow. And they're a very, very good team. And currently, I think they're seeded number three, and we're seeded number four. So I think the hopefully the players have a little bit of more motivation, also players coming back from that group a little bit more experience and you never know i mean yeah. we can go and lose our first game and play the the last two games and the season's over but the the group's a, a good group i've enjoyed working with them so hopefully their send-off can possibly win a national championship yeah we'll be we'll be hoping and we'll obviously be be paying attention to that and with that we're actually going to switch over to our extra time segment now that we we hyped up to you before the show <laughs> where producer David Yaz gives us three mystery questions about the game of soccer, and we try to handle some answers for them. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to extra time. Are you sure you're ready? (laughs) I don't know if Christian is. Are you ready? I'm a little nervous. (laughs) He looks a little nervous. Okay. Let's start with an easy one. First question for extra time. When young players train and practice soccer, what skills should they focus on that they might otherwise neglect. In other words, what is that underrated skill that they should work on? We'll, we'll let the pro handle this one okay, first. Okay, Christian, you go. <laughs> Dribbling. That's I it? I think every <laughs> okay. player yep. at 8, 9, 10, 11, ball mastery dribbling. Okay. You look at the best players in the world, Messi, Ronaldo, their ability to dribble is because they've practiced dribbling, taking players on, using their their skills to beat players we don't have enough players in this country that have the confidence to beat players with the ball one-on-one may i surmise from that that shooting is over practiced or, or it, i think every kid from the, the moment there kick a soccer ball that's what they want to do right yeah i mean you, you go to practice all the time you see kids yeah. that's all they do is watch me shoot from 30 yards shoot, out i'll hit the, the, net. the, yeah. the problem is they're not really focusing on the proper technique they're just smashing the ball as far and as high as they hmm. they can so, Matt, do you agree? I, I do agree, and it makes me, it kind of pumps my tires a bit because I coach my, my youngest son's U8 team, and that I, I swear, like 80% of the practice time that I spend with them is on dribbling with their head up and just controlling the ball because it is. I mean, the amount of kids 
who think they can do these great moves, but they're staring at the ground when they're doing it. It mm-hmm. doesn't do anything. You're not getting anywhere looking at the ground. Mm-hmm. You, you can do all the all the step overs and all the stuff you want, but if you're staring at the ground, where are you going? It's like dribbling a basketball, looking down at the ground. And we spend a ton of time with my U8 team just dribbling. And my wife's always like, you going to do anything else but dribble? And I'm like, these kids... It, they need to learn how to drill. They need to be, to be able to maneuver yes. and weave through, weave through players. And mm-hmm. it's just, there's not like, I've always said about American soccer, we have great athletes. We have great defenders. Often we individual skill and the individual touch that in, in the way to maneuver through defenders, we, we lack that compared to other countries. And I think it's probably because you, you would know more than me, but I think it's because no, we're, I, not, I we're not, teaching, we're not teaching dribbling enough. I mean, you look at a typical, American soccer team, there's not enough risks right. from our players. Our right. players just get the ball and it's like find pass pass the ball. Right. Where you look at the best players in all over the world. Mar, what does he do when he gets the ball? He takes players on yeah. dribbles. Incredible individual you know, skill. Messy. Right. We, we we can defend with the best of them. We can clear it out. We can win. We can we can get some zero zero ties or maybe win a game we don't have that explosive individual skill and I just don't think we're we're teaching it at a young enough age. So I would agree. All right, I question. Mean, I mean, oh, sorry. Uh, Go ahead, Christian. We, we had a relationship with Tottenham Spurs years back, and we went and watched their youth academy. And their DNA with the younger kids, everything was based around dribbling. Yeah. Zidane moves and Ronaldo moves. Wow. That's all their training was. It's an, it's an eye opener. Yeah. That's what we need. All right, question number two for extra time. We'll start with you this time, Matt. Okay. What do you remember about your first soccer ball? <sighs> My first soccer ball? Wow. Oh man, I think it was a very cheap soccer ball. I mean, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I was, it would have been like 1986. So it, it was mm-hmm. probably, I mean, it could have been a ball of yarn. I don't even know what there was. There was yeah. nothing, it was nothing great. Uh, but there's I, a wide variation yeah. in, in, if you go to a sporting goods store in like sort of, there's your plastic almost novelty right. soccer ball. <laughs> I remember playing with that as a kid. When oh, I finally man. saw a real soccer ball, yeah. I was like, oh, that's what a real soccer yeah. ball is. I mean, the, the the thing these days is, because we're always buying soccer balls for my kids, I mean, even the cheap ones look nice right now. I mean, mm. I feel like back when I was playing, all of them, even like the nice ones, the so-called quote-unquote nice ones, all kind of looked the same. They weren't, it was like cleats. Everyone was wearing like umbro mm. cleats that were like terrible back, back in the day. But I just remember it probably being a pretty cheap soccer ball, and I probably just... And just black and white, I take it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, the black, black, yeah, that's all they were. Right. And I remember just kicking it against a wall, like the elementary school down the street from yep. my house, just going there and just booting the thing against the wall constantly christian what do you remember i think this is a tough one for me i don't know if i remember i remember my first soccer game but i don't actually remember the first ball that i had what do you remember about the first game we'll take that we'll take that answer well i was five years old i was living in new jersey and my dad took me to a rec soccer game and i think i was wearing at the time was a green jersey with some local yeah sponsorship on it and i think i ended up scoring like three goals and fell in love playing soccer yeah was it the little pup nets, the, the little no, miniature nets? I think they, they were probably nets? on the big 11 v 11. Yeah, they had. It wasn't small. I remember that about, back in the day. Yeah, I remember that about youth <laughs> soccer when I was playing. It's what threw me off with my kids these years. These kids are using like these little, yeah, these little pop nets that you can barely, a yeah. four-year-old takes up the whole net. But like when we were playing, they were real nets, which was yeah. great for goal scorers. You just pick a corner and knock it in. Right. Okay, we'll go back to Christian for question number three. What? Was the greatest soccer game ever played? Oh, <laughs> Seems simple. The greatest soccer game ever played for me to watch or for me to play in? Ooh, I like the one that you played in. What do All you right, well, Dave? you're the podcast host. <laughs> for him, I'll go All with right, the well, one I watched. I, that, that's a good yeah, question. Yeah. yeah, what's the what's the greatest game you ever played? 
my senior year in high school, I played for Mendham High School in New Jersey. We played in the semifinals against an all-boys school, Del, Del Barton, kind of like Morris County, New Jersey. It was a big rivalry, no mm-hmm. matter what, boys lacrosse, football, basketball, soccer, and they were like the team to beat. And we ended up beating them one nothing. I actually scored the winning goal, and I remember when I scored the goal, I ran over like the field that we played on was alongside of a hill, so all the, the fans and families were on the side of the hill. And after I scored, I ran into a bunch of family and just dove onto them. That's awesome. Um, uh. But, but those the those one. are the days before uh, smartphones. <laughs> yes. so we don't have the footage of that. Oh, too bad. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. But for me, that was probably memory. my my high school. That was my biggest game, biggest moment. Very cool. How about you, Matt? Watched or played in? We'll <laughs> we'll stay consistent. All right, played we'll in. Played in. I would say we used to have. I went to Beverly High School in North Shore, Massachusetts, and we used to just back when I was playing high school soccer. Nobody really had night games. It was always it was all. It was all day games. But we used to play Danvers High School, which was our rival kind of back then. Only really in soccer. Salem was traditionally Beverly's rival and everything else. Actually, one of the oldest high school football rivalries in the state. But we had a big soccer rivalry at Danvers. And I can just remember playing. We had a 1-1 tie there against with a, my senior year. Huge crowd there. They were like blasting Welcome to the Jungle before. The, and we, it was like the first time we were, in, we, we were soaking in because soccer didn't get that kind of Friday Night Lights treatment mm-hmm. back then. And we, we was just... A big crowd. It was like a crisp fall night. One-one tie. Just a a great game. It was physical. No winner. And I know everyone hates. That's what everyone hates about soccer: is the ties. But I don't. I'm not somebody that necessarily hates a tie. If it's a great game, it's a great game. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that was the most fun game I ever played in, just because of the atmosphere under the lights. It was a Friday night, and it was just a, a cold fall night against a rivalry. That was probably my favorite game. I didn't score. I was playing. I think I was playing. I think I was playing bat in the back that that game. So. No scoring opportunities, really, but just a, just a fun game to play in. Great answer. Great answers all around. You guys both have successfully negotiated extra time, and we have orange slices out back here. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Christian, you have fun with that? Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That was great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, and I'm sure we'll be talking. You can enjoy, hopefully in July, you'll have a little time to, to relax. I know things have been busy and save on the commute. Not yet. <laughs> Do you still have to make the commute all through July? Will you be there every day, or will you take some time? No, I'll, t- I'll take some time yeah. off. Yes. Good, good. All right. Well, thanks again to Christian Battaglia for joining the podcast, and thanks to producer David Yaz. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative insightful.